Well, hello everyone. Um, as Pastor Jason let you know, I'm Pastor Craig. Um, thank Pastor Rob for giving me this opportunity. Um, and I'm just so excited to share with you guys today. Um, God's given me something that I know is for me and all of us today and um, all the ones in the different services as we are here for the, uh, as one church just across different services. Um, but the basic question of, and which is the title of my message, is know God, like got milk, yeah, that whole thing. Like, do you know God? Do you? And so I want to explore that today and to open up the Word and what it says to us and, and how we're supposed to know God and if we truly know God and um, even if we know God, how we can know God more. And before we walk out of those doors that our relationship with Him is strengthened or even started um, or restored um, so that we can become more like the men or the woman that God wants us to be. Um, so I, I thank Pastor Rob, and I'm excited to be here. And so we're, we're going to dive right in. Um, in Matthew 7, um, Jesus is talking. He, he's been talking for a while, and it's called Sermon on the Mount. And this, this slide won't be up there. These verses won't no, be up there. But um, here in these verses, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And he is basically, uh, all these people have gathered to hear Jesus speak. And he's speaking about who God is and what heaven's like and, and how we should be and introduces like the golden rule and so many, the beatitudes and uh, so many other things. And then towards the end of this, he gets to this moment and as he's speaking to um, uh, the Jews here, he, he's, he outlines something that's very chilling and, and that's very scary. Now, this is in the book of Matthew, and I'm, I know Pastor Rob has explained that the author, Matthew, wrote this book with the audience of the Jews in mind, with their customs, with their history, and specifically their history being God's people. You see, as God's people, they recited the word. They recited what they're supposed to know about God all the time. They lived it out. It was a part of their culture. And so here in the, these verses, Jesus said these chilling or verses. Listen to this. It's Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. And it says this. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And Jesus said, and then I, Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How scary is that? To have Jesus to say, I never knew you. And if he never knew you, that means you never knew him. And these people were giving the excuses. Hey, hey, Jesus, we knew you. We cast out these demons. Don't you remember? We did this. We prophesied. We did all of this, thinking that they were serving him, thinking they knew him. They were doing these actions based off of what they knew, and they thought it was a relationship with him. And Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you, which means that he really didn't know him. And so today, the, the whole message is to, uh, founded on these verses so that we don't know about him, but before we leave those doors today, that we make sure that we know him. So we're, before we jump in, I'm going to pray. I'm gonna, just going to pray um, that God blesses his word um, and that he does his work here in this place. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you just being able to, to speak your word to your people and to share because it's meant for me too. It's not me preaching at anybody. But Father, I pray that you would get me out of the way and, and I wouldn't be a distraction for your word being discovered in every one of our hearts this morning. And that before we leave here, we would be changed and become more like the men or the woman that you want us to be. I thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you've, if you've read uh, the Bible in any way, shape, or form, you know that Jesus is always dogging the Pharisees, that he's basically calling them out the entire time. And why? Well, it's because they know about him. 
You see, the Pharisees were the Jews, and he was speaking, like I said, Matthew here, he was speaking to the Jews. that The Pharisees supposedly knew the most, and they were to teach the others about the word of God. And so they were to teach God's people about God through his word. But Jesus always, 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 always got onto them because they knew it all, but they didn't know him. And just like those verses, you never knew me, get away. And he would dog them and dog them. And see, the Pharisees, they set up these rules. They, they saw the law of God and they said, oh, we can't, we can't disobey. Disobeying God's law is, you don't want to do that. But the law was put there so that we can have a working relationship with our father. And so they set up these laws. The Pharisees set up, they're called or referred to as fence laws. And where they would say, okay, we don't want to disobey God's law. So we're going to make all these laws to kind of create a fence, a barrier, so that you can't get to the point where you have the opportunity to disobey God. And so they're called fence laws. And here it is. Here's, here's, a, here's a simple fact. God said, keep the Sabbath holy. <laughs> That's it. But the Pharisees are like, in modern times, they would be like, okay, you're not allowed to do work, okay? So you're not allowed to do this and that. And they would say, all right, if you have an Apple Watch or some fitness watch, you're not allowed to burn this many calories. You're not allowed to take this many steps. You can only sit up or, or stand up and sit down so many times. You're not allowed to do work because God said you can't do work on the Sabbath. You have to take that work day off. And, and some of us were like, woo But they, were, they made laws to keep you from God's law. And God said it best. He said it perfect. He said, keep the Sabbath holy, set apart. Hold, that's the holy part. But why did he do that? Because in creation, back in Genesis, God said, we're going to set this day apart. God didn't need rest, but he wanted to dedicate it. Why? So that he can refurbish us, that he can revive us, that he can restore us and have that day. And as we worship him, he pours into us and revitalizes us and we can spend time together. We can develop our relationship. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. But the Pharisees were keeping God's people from the word. They were scared that they were going to break it, but they were keeping people from actually partaking in the word. It wasn't a rule to break. It was a reminder to follow. Hey, we need to do this together. So the Pharisees were there and they would do that. And then, so even though they knew his word, they didn't recognize Jesus when he stood right in front of them and fulfilled the word in their midst. They didn't recognize him. They knew about him, all of the prophecies, but they couldn't recognize him because they had no relationship. All right, we're going to do a little game show for just a moment, okay? I'm, I'm going to give five seconds of awkward silence in just a second. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to think in that five seconds, your best answer. You're going to win a game show based off of your answer, okay? So here it is. Here's the question, if you would put it up. So how would you introduce God to somebody? Okay, think about it. Okay, I'm going to get stall for just a second. How would you introduce God to somebody? All right, here's those five seconds of awkward silence. Think about it. Go. Okay. Whew. Scary, right? A lot of kids today hate silence. They can't. They, they, they got to be constantly doing. Silence kills some people. Uh, you, I know. See? It, it, it happens. They have to be entertained. But your answer, I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about it. And it's going to fall in one of these two categories. And here's the categories. Did you introduce him by details and descriptions like a well-researched book report? Or did you introduce him, B, your second choice, closer to this, by means and what he means to you and how your life has been changed by him. Which one was it closer to? See, growing up in church, we're, we're, we're trained to memorize these verses. And knowing the word of God is very, very important. 
is very important. That's why the Pharisees were originally doing it. And so it's important to learn his word, but it's important to be affected by the word, to listen to the word, and to respond to the word, and to have that relationship. And so today, what I, I want to do is to talk about that and to take us, and, and most of us, you probably thought about details. And you're like, well, Pastor Craig, you didn't give me an opportunity. I start with the details, and then I move to how he's changed my life. And so, but it's just a, it's just a way to, to kind of point out to you that we'd so, we'd, we sometimes just start with details, knowledge, head knowledge, and not with a life relationship that we want to expand upon. So today, the whole thing is, how do you know God? How do you know God? And so before we leave, um, I I just want to kind of build up how we should know God, how we can know God more, and how we should respond to what we learn about God. See, God in the beginning in Genesis started, and he created us man and woman, too. He, he created us, it tells us that, to be in God's image or likeness, which means that they could respond to a unique personal relationship with God that reflected his love, reflected, bounced back, showed back his love and character. We were created different than the angels, than all of creation, all of the animals, all of everything. We were created to be in relationship with God. That's our purpose. That was why we were created, so that we could choose to love this creating God. And so those are uh, Adam and Eve. They possessed a moral likeness to God as sinless and holy creations. When he created it, he said, and he called it good. There wasn't anything wrong then. There wasn't anything there. They were sinless and they were holy creations. And we were not simply to know about God, know of him or know facts so that we could recognize him. And there are verses even in the Bible about the rocks crying out and nature proclaiming who he is. Nature knows who he is, but we are to be more than that. Jesus, through Jesus alone, we're able to return to that original moral likeness that he created us to be in. If we turn from our sinful ways and trust him to lead our lives, we get back to that state. You see, when we accept Jesus Christ, as Rob, Pastor Rob preached several, about three weeks ago, he, we are new creation. We are set apart already now. We are set apart to be that. So today we're going to look at what we can do to start, to restore, or grow our rela- relationship with God so that we can be known by God. Not like in Matthew 7 where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. So that we can be known by God and that we can know God. All right, so the first thing, we have to understand a knowledge of God. And, and you may have, well, I know all these Bible verses, but I want to kind of start at the beginning because I don't want to just speak to the, the veteran and the seasoned Christian. I, wanna, I know that with this, we've been growing as a church. And so I want to take the opportunity just to, for all of those that may be a new Christian here to introduce you to who Jesus is so that you can not just say, hey, I, I'm saved. Great. That's the starting line. Now it's time to run the race. And so I want to make sure that every person in here has an opportunity to move forward. So we're going to start with knowing God, the basics of knowing who God is. And so we start, uh, we start to build a relationship with no. Okay. I'm going to give you five points today, five points to build a relationship with the Father. And the first one is to know him. All right, so let me read this verse right here. It's John 1, 1. And it says this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is talking about Jesus. This is introducing Jesus. So the Word, from beginning to end, the Word is Jesus. Okay, now let's describe who Jesus is. You see, in the original Greek text there, uh, believe, to believe in God, and to, um, it occurs 98 times. And you're like, is that a lot? Well, it is a lot. He's talking about it. He, he's urging us, and, and rec- it's a recurring event for us to believe in him. And so out of those verses, here's kind of a definition as to what it is to believe in God. 
It's not simply a matter of mental belief or recognition. It is a heartfelt response of active trust by surrendering control to God. Let me read that one more time. It's not simply a matter of mental belief and knowledge. It is a heartfelt response of active trust, a verb there, by surrendering control to God. And we can't do this alone. We need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to help us start and to develop a relationship with God. So let's build this relationship. So we we know that we have to start with no, okay? And and to know him. Now, this isn't like my wife, I promised her I wouldn't share in the first service and I actually ended up sharing about her. And she was like, she didn't really, she didn't abuse me, no. But she, she was like, you said you were not going to use me as an illustration today. And I was like, yeah, I did, didn't I? And I was like, oh, well, it's gone. She can fire me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but if I was to say about my wife, okay, she's 5'3", she weighs 141 pounds, and she has blonde hair, blue eyes, and um, she's a twin, and she loves guacamole, and uh, her favorite color is green. Welcome to my wife. You're like, okay, those are facts. And all the guys are like, whoo, he knocked that out of the park. Look at all those facts he named. Look at that. That that dude's rocking it. But all the women in here are like, no, (laughs) that didn't work, son. Get off the stage. Just so you know, that was a test. Because what I would really say about her is, man, she is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. She is hot, and I love her to pieces. She's changed my life, and I have never been the same. I'm so happy that I get to know her and call her mine, and that she actually found out, and I married up, and she didn't know that she married way, way, way down, but that she has changed my life. I'm more like her, and I'm a better person because of her. Now, which, which, <laughs> which description would actually say that I know my wife? Not the details. Anybody knows those details. You can look on Facebook, and if you're a good, or Instagram, or Snapchat, or any whatever. Now, she doesn't do all the social media platforms, but if you were searching on social media, and you wanted to be some sort of follower, you could find out details about anybody. But I only know those other details because of the relationship that I have with her. And that's what God wants. That's what God wants. He was, see, whenever you relationally learn something about God, you start to create a picture and a foundation and uh, to build your relationship with him on. And just as a person's words reveal his or her heart and mind, Christ, Jesus Christ, as the word, remember John 1, 1, reveals the heart and mind of God. So whenever we read the word, whenever we see Jesus, when Jesus has come so that we can see what God is thinking. So John 1, 1, Jesus is the word. John 8, 28 and John 14, 24, Jesus declares his own words are directly from God. So if you want to hear from God, you got to hear that or read Jesus's words. Those are the words coming from God. It wasn't so that Jesus could live a sinless life. The purpose was so that he could live a sinless life to get us back. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, God has spoken to us by his son. Hebrews reaffirmed that Jesus came, that, hey, Jesus is speaking the words of God, and it confirmed that. 1 Corinthians 1, 30, Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, Colossians 2, 2 through 3, Jesus Christ is God's wisdom for us in every way, helping us to understand and accomplish God's purposes. The Bible clearly says that Jesus shows us the way to live life. And life is hard. Life is not fair. But Jesus is the answer if we're willing to know him. And then there's this. John 1, 3 through 5, verses 14 and 18, Colossians 2 and 9. says, The Bible and the Word describes Jesus as the perfect revelation and representation of the Father's nature and character. See, Jesus came and he showed that love and he lived a life. Why? To reflect what God is saying to us, to reflect what God thinks of us and feels about us. And he sent Jesus to let us know and to remind us that he loves us and cares for us. And he wants Genesis 1 through, Genesis chapters 1 through 3 back where he walked daily in the garden with Adam and Eve. 
to have that holy, sinless child of God back in communion together, daily walking and building a relationship. Psalm 910 says this, says, those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You see, after we know him and learn things about him, then we got to put our trust in him. So the more you know God, there was our first finger, the more you know God, the more you trust God. So know leads to trust. We just saw that. Now, we don't randomly trust people. We have to know them first. Sometimes we trust people. You get on a plane, you trust the pilot. You don't know the pilot. Get on a bus, those types of things. You unwillingly put your trust in them, but you don't know them. But you're not going to go back to the pilot. Hey, what do you think I should do about this investment? Or, hey, I'm have, I, I, what, what should I get my wife for Valentine's Day? They're not going to know. They don't know you. They don't know you. And you're only going to trust and to seek advice from somebody that you trust, that you actively trust. And trusting God is hard because you have to let go and let God. Trusting is hard. See, especially here in America. I've visited on, uh, on mission trips every Central American country except for Costa Rica and Panama. And let me tell you, when the, my, the first time I came back, I literally kissed the tarmac when I got off the plane. Just the, the exaggerated gross difference between being blessed and not so blessed. And I thank God for the blessings that I had. But it gave me a stark realization that it's also hurtful for Americans because we depend on ourselves way too much. And a lot of us don't know how to trust God. A lot of us don't know how to give up and say, God, I give control to you. Trusting God is hard. But check this verse out. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is God's call to us. Says, he says that we should be holy as he is holy. See, God is holy, and what is true of God should also be true of his people. What is true of God should also be true of his people. Holiness as it pertains to God means absolute purity, perfection, completeness, and separation from evil. When we cried out in the third song, holy, holy, we're saying that he is set apart and perfect. But when we're talking about God's people, holiness should mean that we are morally pure, spiritually whole, and separated from the ungodly ways of the world and set apart for love, service, and worship to God. That's what holiness and what he's calling us to. That's where he wants to move us. John 17, it was 17 verse 17, it was at the end of the video. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we're supposed to know God, and we're supposed to trust God, and it says sanctify them, okay? So sanctification is this big religious word, okay? And it's this big word that simply means that you are going from where you currently are, no matter how dirty, how worthless, how um, pitiful, how hurt, how destroyed that you think that your life is, wherever you are, God says that there's a process that we're to go into from point A, and point B is holiness, and he, the sanctification is the process that we go through, the steps that we take. And my steps are different than your steps. And your steps are different than his steps. And his steps are different than your steps. And so your path is different, but the B, the holiness that he calls us to, our destination is the same. And we have the same God working in all of us to get us from our starting point to all reach the finish line. And sanctification is moving us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, it says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my words that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. See, the, all those things came and served a purpose. God's word says, shall not return to me, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. 
I want you to understand that one thing, that God's word will not return to him void. Either his word will bring spiritual life to you or to those who receive it, or it will bring judgment to those who reject it. Either way, his word is not going to return void. It's not going to come back to him. It's meant to come and serve a purpose, either to judge us or to revive us. So we had no God, trust God, and here's a hard one. See, the more that we trust God, the more that you will obey God. The more that you trust him, the more that you will obey him. Now, you will only willingly obey someone that you trust. If someone holds a gun to your head, you're going to trust them unwillingly. But if you were to willingly trust someone, that's the only time that you'll obey them. Psalm 119, 105 says this. It was, it was, it's already been up here, but it's, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I want you to look at the end of that. It says, my path. This is David crying out, and he's talking about his specific path. This isn't just a general uh, thing there that your word is a lamp and uh, a light, just, hey, that sounds good. This is him saying that here's my path, God, from that point A to the point B, that holy person that you want me to be. And here's a lamp and a light for my purpose. See, when you're going somewhere specific and you can't see where you're going, which means that you, in this case, you don't know the destination, but you do know the path that you're supposed to be on. God will keep you on that path and he will show you the way down that path. And he wants you to be on that path because it's the path that he has set apart for you. God's word contains the spiritual principles and to help us go through sorrows, pitfalls, tragedies that are brought about by bad decisions and choices that we've made. You see, we need to treasure his word and apply it to all of life's situations. It will never fail to guide us the right way. He is faithful in that. John 14, 23 says this, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Keeping it is obeying it. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. If you want to experience the love and the presence of the father and the son in a real and powerful way, obey him. Trust and see that the Lord is good. See, the father and son come to believers and reveal their power to them by the purposes or through the purposes of the Holy Spirit. And notice that the Father's loving care is conditional on our love for Jesus and loyalty to his word. He said, hey, if you keep my word, I'm going to be there with you, to, to live with you. I'm going to make my home with you. The only person I want to make a home with is my wife. But to be in that relationship with And God wants to be in that relationship. He wants us to know him, to hear from him, and not just to hear from him and know those facts. He wants us to respond to him. Here's another, here's a test. If I was to say hey to my wife and love on her on Sunday and not talk to her until next Sunday, how's that going to go? Not very well. See, God wants us to not just come to church and to say those things and what's on the screen and to hear, the, hear about God's word and then live a different life and not respond to him throughout every day of the week, every waking hour, thinking about him and just basking. Man, I bask in the love of my, my wife. I mean, she, I love her. And just the, the different things. And I promised I wouldn't say how she's, I'm just not kidding. I'm not gonna do that. Um, but it just, it changes me. And God wants us to be the same way because he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to not just say, oh, and, and, and sit here and thinking about the, and reciting and memorizing verses. He wants us to know those verses so that we can talk to him, so that we can respond to him. And so whenever we hear a verse, we're like, yes, God, whoa, look at that. Oh, he's going to make a difference. And we're able to respond. We're able to respond to him. And here's, here comes the coolest thing. And so... The more you obey God, the more you will experience God. So know, trust, obey, experience. Know, trust, obey, experience him. 
Whenever you have an experience with someone, you never forget those moments. I will never forget my wedding day. I will never forget when my first child was born. That was gross. Amazingly gross. But I learned that, oh man, she's so precious. I love her to pieces. She's not here today. But see, I can make fun. I can talk about her. But you never forget those moments. Those moments, experiences change you. They establish a bond that is hard to break because of the emotional and spiritual ties. You can't break those moments. 1 John 2, 5 through 6 says this, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is saying, uh, this, this verse right here says that if you believe in God and God lives in you, you should be walking like God walked. How did God walk? Jesus walked it. We can read about it right here. And we should respond to that with our life. Ephesians 4.32 says this. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Pastor Rob has set this up extremely simple for us to make disciples and reach the lost and to love one another and to learn about God through one another and to help each other and to learn more about him so that we can know about God, so that we can trust God and obey God and experience God when we come together, experience God when we have cookouts, experience God when we have our small groups, experience God whenever we go out into the community and we're telling people, hey, I know God, here's what he's done for me and he can do it for you too. That's what it's about. You see, the more you experience God, whenever you have those experiences with him, our youth have been up here, and I don't know if you've noticed, but they've been up here like, woo, yes, praise God. They've been up here dancing. And ever since they came back from what? It was ever since they came back from their conference. Because why? They had an experience. And just as Pastor Rob said there at the end of Revelation, John had an experience and he bowed down at an angel's feet to worship him because of the overwhelming experience that Jesus presented him. And he was quickly rebuked, rebuked. And he said, get up. Don't worship the angel. Don't worship this experience. This experience is meant to reveal who I am to you so that you will know who that I am and who that I want to be with you. And it's a memory that ties us together, reveals who God wants to, um, to, to sh- us to realize who he is. And then, so the more we experience God, the more we will love him. The more we will love him. See, love is the purest tie in a relationship. It could be a friend, it could be husband and wife, parent, child, no matter what it is. Love is the purest tie in a relationship. And when you love someone, your dedication to that relationship is unbreakable under normal circumstances. And it withstands trials and pressures, storms. But they also give the experiences of the highest highs. You see, your relationship and your love for someone tells everybody else around where your loyalties lie and whom you would choose because you know them. And you always, always become like the one that you love. Here's all these verses that's being saying, be holy, be sanctified, be like I am. And we're like, how do we get there? By loving him. You become like whom you love. And if you're loving God, if you're responding to God and his word, and not just learning it and learning about him, but you're responding to it, you're saying, yes, Lord and allowing it to change you, you become like him. 1 John 4, 19, it says this. We love because he first loved us. He sent his son. He created us because he loved us. The knowledge, the trust, the obedience, and the experiences of, of all will prove God to be faithful to you and exemplify his wholehearted love to you. Let me read that again. The knowledge, knowing him, trusting him, obedience, and the experiences, all of those will verify his love and loyalty to you. And you will become like him, and you will love him because he first loved you. It's hard not to love somebody back when they emphatically love you to pieces. 
It's hard. You can't. You can't resist. And then there's John, John 13, 34, and 35. These are two of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Not my top favorite, but these are up there. And it says this. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And I'm going to stop there, because let me preface this. After, um, after Jesus had Passover where he, with the disciples, and he washed their feet, and he had Passover meal, which became communion for us to remember. He says, you don't get this, but this is, going to be, this is going to be important for you to remember what's going on. Remember our relationship. Remember what I'm about to do for you. And he said that, and they, they got out, they finished that. And the verse clearly says that they were going out. And Jesus turns to them. He says, whoa. And he was about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray before he hung on the cross and paid for them and for all of us. He said, one more thing. And they knew all the laws, but he said, one more commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And hold right there. Go back one. As I have loved you. See, whenever he was loving them and teaching them and making them disciples, he didn't sit them down like in a classroom. He didn't say, okay, Peter, you sit over here. You're in the corner today because you misbehaved yesterday. All right, sons of thunder, separate before I really bring the lightning and show you what it's all about. And he didn't say, sit here, sit here, sit here, do this. He didn't teach them like that. No, he walked with them. He ate with them. He loved them. He showed them. He showed them vegetation. He showed them the birds, the foxes. Think about potty breaks. <laughs> they, they had potty breaks together. Yes, they lived together. They were in a relationship. He was teaching them. How did he teach them? By living with them. He changed them. He loved them. He demonstrated his love by pouring himself out to them and loved them to pieces. Check out this next verse. This verse is where it comes together. It says, by all of this, all of what? All the love that he has for you, all, everything that he can offer you, everything that he's about to do by dying on the cross, everything that he's ever established was all because of you. You see, a sacrifice, a sacrifice is when you give up of something of importance in order to gain something more important. Christ was a sacrifice. What was more important? He loved us so much. And he says, by all of this love, that, that commandment, that if we love one another, if we're doing that, that people will know that you are my disciples. Another version says, they will know that you actually belong to me by the way that you love. He's calling us to be like him, to love like him, to, to make disciples reach the lost like him. He's calling us to do that. And it says, if you have love one for, one for another, they will know that you belong to me. They will know that you're mine. They will know that you know me. See, the more you love God, the more you will want to know him better. You're like, wait, we've already did know. Oh, we're done. No, <laughs> but that's the end of the cycle. See, know God trust God. When you trust him, you obey him. When you obey him, you experience him. You're like, yeah, look at this cool thing. And then you love him. And when you love him, you want to know him more. Take off the words and show the background for a second. Check out that. It's called a helix. And if you had an amazing biology teacher, and you remember this point from biology class, and it does, looks like a DNA, uh, a sample of DNA, but that pattern where those two cords are twisted and they continue on, that's called a helix, okay? And so a helix is a repeating, a repeating design. And it's, so the DNA, when it repeats, it repeats your information. And it says, the, the Bible is alluding to this whenever it's talking about the verses, whenever it's changing your heart, you're renewing your mind. Whenever you're changing, God is rewriting your DNA to be more like him. And whenever you do that, whenever you know him, trust, obey, experience, love, you come back around full circle to know. It's not at the same no, it's you're going to know more about him. You're going to be on a different level, a different, a different no, and start that cycle all over again. Then you're going to trust him more. Then you're going to obey him more in bigger things. The first thing is just, hey, go to church. 
Second thing might be, oh, I'm going to do this. The third thing might be, oh, I'm going to go plant a church. Who knows what your obedience is, but it grows. You don't go from, hey, Jesus, I want to make you my Lord and Savior, to, all right, I'm going to Africa, or I'm going to China. I'm going to South America to serve God. No, see, God has to teach you. He has to increase you. He has to change your relationship and how you know about him. So how do we respond to this? That's the relationship cycle. But how do we respond? How do we know that we're going to know God and make sure that we know him, not just know about him? Well, the first thing that we got to do is we got to remember. Don't forget. If you're a youth in here, don't forget that experience that you had this summer. Don't forget it could be the what you're, you remember um, that church camp where you got saved. It could be remember where God saved your life and cured you of cancer. It could be that the moment where you, you, there was a check that came in the mail that you don't know where it came from, but that you were able to pay your bills. You don't know what it is, but you write those things down. Don't forget. I always tell my students that a short pencil is better than a long memory. Because whenever you write those things down and whenever the devil flings all those fiery darts at you and comes at you like a flood and just wants to say, hey, you're worthless. You, you, don't, you don't belong to God. God doesn't love you. You can go back and say, here's the experience that I have with the king who loves me. He did this. He did this. He did this. He did this. Here's my relationship. I do know him. And you can just take, you can just take those fiery darts and do, stick them somewhere else, Satan. Okay, so don't forget, don't forget where you are and that you are an actual child of God and all this stuff that he's done and through, he's taking you through the cycles to increase your knowledge of him. Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34 says this, it says a new heart and transformed nature. A new heart is a result of the Holy Spirit's life transforming work, that helix. We're being transform, transformed, becoming more holy like he wants us to enabling them to respond to God and giving them a desire and to love him. It's the covenant that he made. This was a prophecy saying that all of God's children are to know me and be transformed. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. We will be in relationship together. Romans 12, 2. You probably know this one, but you probably know it from memory. And I want you to experience this. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay, whenever God gives you even today's word, I pray that it touches you. And before you go back out and then get back into your routine and be conformed back into your routine, I want you to respond to him. I want you to know that we're not to do that. It says, but be transformed. Remember that helix and that cycle. And you could be at the start, you could be at the end. Be transformed. Take a step closer. Grow another layer by the renewal of your mind. How do we renew our mind? By understanding God's word and not just putting it in as a memory verse, but knowing a verse, just like, remember, not those fence laws to keep us from the law. Jesus is the law. And why was the law put into place? So that we can have interaction with him, proper relationship with him, and we can begin, begin to become holy as he is holy, and that we, he, we can walk and talk together like that garden moments there in the beginning, at the beginning of Genesis. God did all of this to get you back there to that point to where we can walk together. But we have to respond in, by the renewal of our mind daily. 2 Peter 1 through 3, or 1 verse, chapter 1 verse 3 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness and through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. This, this needs to be a memory verse. You need to put it on your refrigerator, on your phone, whatever it is. See, whatever, you, make a meme of it, or not a meme, but a, a image, a verse image, and put it on your phone, okay? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What has he granted to us? Let me list a couple of things. Here's the first thing. The love of a heavenly father from the beginning to the end, creating us to be in relationship with him salvation through Jesus Christ, 
Christ's continual intercession for us in heaven. He's praying for you. He's praying that you're a victor. He's praying that you get past whatever it is that you're dealing with, and he wants to tell you how to do it through his word. He's conveying his answers, but he's praying. The inner presence and baptism of the Holy Spirit, that power that connects us to God. It's like connecting your electric vehicle. Hook up to the power source. Use the Holy Spirit. The companionship of other believers. Us. And God's inspired word are all sufficient to meet all of our needs for life and godly character development. We have here everything that we need. God, through his divine power, has granted it, has given it to us so that we can become more like him, so that we can know him, so that we can love him the way that we were created to be. Now, this isn't on the screen. I apologize for that, and I probably should have put it up there. But I want to read this verse. Okay? It's Isaiah 40, 31. And most of you have probably heard that. You've, uh, this, you've probably heard it when you got sick, at a funeral, at different things. But I, remember knowing him? I want to put a little different perspective on this verse than what it, it, you've probably circumstance you've heard it in. Here it is. It says, but they who wait for the Lord, just so that you understand, I'm going to stop right there. Those who wait for the Lord, or wait on the Lord. See, to wait on or hope for in the Lord means to trust him completely with our lives and serve him faithfully. You know, like waiter, they come and serve you with everything that they have to make sure that you have a good experience. Those who wait on the Lord, those who serve him, here it is, here it comes, shall renew their strength shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they'll walk and not faint. See, God promises to those who trust in God and who turn quickly to him. That's the key. See, God doesn't, God wants to have a family meeting. See, if we're in relationship with him, we're going to have a family meeting whenever we get into a situation that we're, we don't like. Storms, those trials that come in life, where God says, hey, I know what you need. Talk with me. Respond to me. And we're, we're interacting with believers and with pastors and with each other and digging into God's word. And we learn to, and know to trust God in these circumstances. And we have a family meeting. And he gets us out of that situation before it's like we're on the, the operating table and they have to poof, the life support and they're trying to keep us from dying. See, God has put this in and he wants us to understand that we should not get to that point where we're so desperate and before we call out them. He wants us to have that conversation with us before we get into it so that we know how to navigate that trial, that trial of life and that storm. And he wants us to depend on him and to navigate him. And then the second part of this, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. This isn't just for the weary. This is about trust in the Lord. And he says, you should mount up with wings like eagles. Let me tell you a little bit about eagles real quick, okay? Eagles are the only bird ever in all of creation that can sense a storm coming. All birds can see that the storm is here, like, whoo! All birds can see that they're there. Eagles are the only ones who can sense that the storm is coming, and they begin to take flight and to get as high as they can as the storm begins to come. They know that the storm is coming. And Jesus is telling, hey, mount up with wings like eagles. Let me tell you another thing. Eagles, when they begin to take flight, they expend about 80, 85% of their energy, all of their energy to get off and to take flight. They, they're like, oh, I ain't coming back for this one. It's all or nothing. And they take flight. And then they go up and they begin to soar. And they, why do they know that they can expend that much energy? Because they know that those, way, those winds and those updrafts are going to be there. And they rely on those updrafts for them to be able to soar, to be able to hunt, to be able to coast. And while they're coasting and soaring, they're able to renew their strength because of the wind that's holding them up. And God is saying, I want you to be able to rely on me for strength. Serve me and know and listen to me and I will take you up. And oh, there's a storm coming? Climb, climb, 
climb. See, a lot of people think that this verse is meant to pick you up when you're sad, when you're hurting, when you're low. No, this verse is also meant to pick you up even if you are at the top of your game and you're loving life and you're experiencing all these things that, hey, God says a storm is coming and he takes you up. And those updrafts that come before the storm take the eagle and they fly above the storm. How about that perspective? It's not even, hey, here's the storm coming. Oh, batting down the hatches. Oh, oh, we got to make it through. Oh, we made it through. God, thank you. It's not about survival. See, storms come to our lives to make us more mature, make us depend on him, and they teach us so that we can become stronger. And so being able to recognize a storm, how would we do that? By listening to God. I have given you all things. I have granted you all things that if you would be in relationship with me, I will take care of you. And that you should mount up with wings like eagles. So today, what is your relationship goal with God? What is your relationship goal? It may be that you want to start a relationship. There's something I might have presented today where you said, I need to start my relationship. I need Jesus in my life. So you might want to be at the beginning there to know God by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. You may recently or at one time have already accepted Jesus, but you need to take that next step of just not, this, not just being at the starting line, but starting the race and saying, God, I need to trust you or obey you and to develop that relationship. Or you may be and you're experiencing in a place where you're experiencing him and you're loving him like never before and you need to press into him to respond to what he wants you to do next to start that climb and to move to the next level. Or finally, you may be at a place today where this word has touched you. It may have fanned into flame the spark that was within you and you want to open up your wings begging to know him on a new level and to say to him, God, here I am waiting for you. Take over. Call me out to soar on wings as eagles as, as, and show me a different perspective so that I may follow you and become the man or woman that you want me to be. Take me up. Take all of me. I surrender. I give myself to you. Meet me here now, I pray. You see, in just a moment, we're going to have a chance to respond. Not just to hear God's word and walk out the door and fall back into our normal routine. I want to give you just one second to respond. But before you respond, no matter, and we're going to pray, no matter where you are in your relationship cycle with God, I pray that today you'll be honest with God, that you will go after him and simply say, God, I want to know you more. I need to know you more. Let's pray.